I got together with a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in like five years. Uh, it was really sweet, a really sweet time. Great believer in the Lord and just great to catch up. It's one of those friendships where even if you don't talk a lot, when you get together, it's, it's like you didn't skip a beat. Um, really unique. But uh, one of the things he was asking me was, um, what kind of things God had been teaching me uh, recently? And so uh, I shared some things about um, the process of our adoption um, and how God had really shown me some new insights into um, the Christian's adoption in Christ and uh, out of Romans 8. And uh, my friend was like, oh, man, you have to preach that sometime. And I was like, yeah, I will, but I'll, I'll never get through the sermon. Um, but as you all know, I'm, I'm prone to uh, shed a tear or two when I get up here. Um, and it's funny because I never expect to do that. Um, when I'm writing my sermon, I'm never emotional about anything. I just write it. And then inevitably when I get up here, something strikes a chord I wasn't expecting. And just have to pause a second and get myself together. Um, but this sermon was totally different. Um, I wept through the whole thing. So maybe I got all of it out. Apparently I can tell now I haven't. Um, but I've got it factored in. So uh, I'm planning on a 40-minute sermon, 30 for preaching and 10 just for crying. Um, so, um, but by far the most personal uh, message I've ever uh, given. I've just been praying for you guys that... Um, I know you haven't walked in our shoes. We've been, you know, had this long process of adoption that we just wrapped up three weeks ago um, with our second son. And um, so there's an element of that in our experience that really provides a lot of insight into Romans 8 and what we're going to talk about today. But I've just been praying that you could at least try our shoes on this morning, um, even, if, even if you don't walk with us. Um, at any time, you can turn in your Bibles to Romans 8. Um, I do want to sort of set the context, because Romans is a huge letter, really weighty letter. And um, just want to, we're going to jump right into the middle of it. Just want to kind of set a little, uh, set the stage just a little bit, just to get us where Paul is uh, in this letter. Um, but the book of Romans is actually a letter uh, written to Christians who were living in the city of Rome a long time ago. It's the longest letter that, uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote. And uh, more than any other letter that he wrote, it really systematically, in a very orderly way, spells out a real central truths of Christianity, um, particularly in related to uh, the gospel. Uh, it's really the theme of the whole letter, the gospel of God. And uh, another way to think of it is as uh, the gospel of God and all of everything pertaining to salvation um, or redemptive truth um, I've been a believer probably for 20 years now and I can tell you that if somebody had said what's redemptive truth and what's you know salvation I, I'm certain I couldn't have said any uh, given any definitions for that but I did know uh, as a new believer a couple of things uh, I knew that I was a sinner that was really clear uh, I didn't need a lot of convincing um, I knew that uh, because of my sin, uh, uh, I deserved to be punished for it. And the Bible talks about a hell, and that uh, I knew that my sin needed to be punished. I also knew that Jesus Christ died for me in my place, took my penalty so I didn't have to pay it. And uh, God gave me his righteousness. 
That's all I knew when it came to, if somebody asked me about salvation or getting saved or getting to go to heaven, that's what I could tell them. Um, and uh, that was just the extent of my knowledge. Um, and the great thing about the gospel is it's so simple that even a young child can understand it. And it's so deep that even a seasoned Christian, somebody's been walking with the Lord for years and years, can chew on it over and over and over again. Um, and that's the beauty of the letter of Romans. Uh, the Apostle Paul really lays out the central truths uh, regarding the gospel at a depth um, that as a new Christian, I was totally unaware there was even a depth to it beyond what I knew. So we'll just walk through real quick um, to bring us up to chapter 8. But in the beginning of this letter, Paul exposes the total depravity of mankind so that uh, the whole world is guilty before God as, as uh, sinful uh, human beings. Um, but then Paul reveals that God made a way for sinners to be made right. The uh, Bible calls it being justified or justification, just a big word, but it means to be declared right. Um, in a court of law, um, a judge will hand out his verdict, guilty or uh, innocent. And to be justified means to be declared innocent. The amazing thing with God is that we all know we're guilty. And on the heavenly stage, we stand before God who's judge, and we know we're guilty. There's no denying it. And he declares us innocent. And it's something that uh, uh, the moment we believe that Jesus Christ bore the penalty for our sins, we're declared innocent, even though we are Filthy, right? Guilty. Um, we're justified. Something that happens in a moment. Um, and as a result of our justification being made right before God, Paul goes on to explain um, how being declared right really should impact our lives. Something he calls sanctification. Again, a big word. All it means is growing in Christ. We hear about, we talk about that. We want to grow in Christ to become more Christ-like. Um, and Paul spent some time talking about uh, what that is. Uh, even last week, Josh was talking about uh, discipleship um, and uh, that um, disciples of Christ would spend time with Christ and would become like Christ, as we talked about um, in our group last week. And this is this process of sanctification, growing to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Um, and this is something that doesn't happen like that, Right? It is a slow, steady process throughout the course of entire life where little by little we learn more and more about Jesus Christ and about God, and God begins to, to bring us along into more of his image. Um, even as much as we would grow and more like Christ, if we live all to be 90 years old and we're in the faith for years and years, we still will be sinful. Uh, so there's an aspect of this that doesn't wrap up until we get to heaven. Um, something called glorification. Um, and that's something that in an instant we made holy. And that God will bring to completion all of this work he's been doing in our hearts this whole time we're on earth. So Paul lays all this out to the Christians who are living in Rome that they really might know the richness of the gospel uh, and live lives that reflect God's grace to them. So this morning, I want to take a look at one aspect of um, 
the gospel. Uh, something that happens the moment we're justified, the moment we believe and God says, uh, you're okay with me. Uh, this thing that the Bible talks about, um, adoption. Uh, adoption is a one-time event, um, again, that happens right when we're declared innocent. Um, so, in our passage this morning, Paul teaches about <clears throat> the Christian's adoption in Christ in order to really encourage and build them up in their faith. They were experiencing uh, trials, the likes that we just don't know. Um, and he really wanted to um, demonstrate how their adoption in Christ really moved them into further Christ-likeness. So if you're at Romans 8, um, I'm going to be starting in verse... Uh, 12. We'll read uh, 12 through 17 just to kind of blow through it, and we'll come back um, and begin in verse 14. But it says this, uh, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to, li- to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God <clears throat> are sons of God. For you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So we'll come back at the end and look at verses 12 and 13, but really want to start in verse 14. And this morning, I really want to give seven benefits of, um, of the Christian's adoption in Christ. Um, the first one is uh, that as adopted children of God, we enter a new family. Uh, he says again in, four, in uh, verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Uh, so who are the sons of God? Paul says those who are led by the Spirit of God. And in another letter in Galatians, Paul writes, For in Christ Jesus, you all are sons of God through faith. So it's faith uh, in Jesus Christ's work on the cross that makes us sons of God. Um, again, this belief that he took the punishment we deserved. Remember, he, was in, he actually was the innocent one. And, but he took our punishment. Um, which resulted in life for us. And believing this makes us sons of God. Um, So it's through faith that we become sons or daughters. Don't get me wrong, sons or daughters. Uh, Not any work or good deed that we do and not not any bad stuff that we stay away from. Um, It's not like God looks down from heaven and adopts those who um, basically have their lives together. Uh, When he looks down from heaven... What he sees are people who are desperately wicked, as uh, Jeremiah says. Um, He doesn't choose people based on their inerrant goodness, because we don't have any. Um, We only become sons or daughters of his through faith in Jesus Christ. So those who are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ are led by the Spirit of God. Uh, The grammar of the Greek here indicates that it's a continual leading uh, not like a one, one and done deal, like the sons of God are led and, you know, if you mess up too much or um, it's not like that. It's a continual, ongoing uh, leading. 
Um, what God starts, he finishes, uh, Philippians 1.6 says. Um, and he is absolutely committed to finishing the work that he started in our lives. Um, I know that uh, there's a lot of dysfunctional families out there, uh, but God's family isn't one of them. Um, the Spirit of God takes great uh, care to provide ongoing, unending leading, guidance, instruction for the sons of God. So led by the Spirit as God's children, believers follow the Spirit's promptings and do His will. All who follow the leading of God's Spirit are without a doubt uh, objects of God's special love. Uh, He gives us His own Spirit to lead us. The incredible care that He puts into us. Uh, Imagine the love that He has for us. Um, And the sons of God enjoy the highest title and the highest privileges because we are in God's family. We are his children. So in what sense can ordinary people become sons of God? Um, But through our faith in Jesus Christ, we literally become God's children with all the rights and privileges um, that are reserved for for children alone, for sons. Um, And in verse 15, Paul lays out the second and third benefit of being a son of God. Um, As adopted children of God, we receive a new spirit and a new daddy. Verse 15. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So Paul is saying that when we became children of God, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not one to fear. Uh, Paul expounds his point uh, at least two other places. Uh, In his letter to the Corinthians, he says, um, we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. And he writes to Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. So the moment we're justified, the moment we first, first place our faith in Christ, uh, God gives us his spirit and uh, into our hearts. Paul says this to the Ephesians, In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I tend to think of that as um, this idea of sealing as a tattoo or something. You know, if you have a tattoo... You have that tattoo. I mean, there's ways to get rid of it, but there's always a scar. I mean, you, you have that tattoo. Um, I don't know if that's a perfect illustration, but when we believe in Jesus Christ, God gives us his spirit in our hearts and seals us. Um, the Holy Spirit is not going anywhere. Um, Paul wanted to make it clear that the spirit they received was not weak when it came to sin. but was powerful over it. And because the sons of God were given the spirit of God, now these new sons in this family that are used to sinning and messing up and all this stuff, now God's given them new power that they never had before over temptation and sin and even the devil himself. So as sons of God, there's no reason to to relapse into a state of fear, be fearful of, of sin, 
uh, or temptation. Um, but if we would just be led by the Spirit of God, we'd have victory by the Spirit of God. So as adopted children of God, we receive a new spirit. Holy Spirit seals our hearts, can't lose them. And as adopted children of God, we receive a new daddy. But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So there's the spirit of God, again, who makes believers the sons of God, and it enables us, gives us the privilege to call God Daddy. Um, in the act of adoption, a, uh, a child is um, placed into a home that wasn't his. It's not his own. Um, introduced into a new family and uh, regarded as a true son, as if he had been there the whole time. Um, with all the privileges and responsibilities and new relationship. In the first century, uh, when this letter was written, an adopted son was deliberately chosen by a father and uh, to bear his name and to inherit his estate. So you have this picture of the, adopted, the adoptive father that brings a child into the family, uh, not as like a slave or a hired hand, or no, as a son. And in fact, this father can't wait to give him everything that he has as an inheritance. This adopted son's not inferior, inferior at all to other children in the family. He becomes a full-fledged member. Uh, we adopted our first son, Asher, who's four years old now, through a private agency, and our second, uh, Danny, uh, through the state foster care system. Um, I'm sure we all have heard horror stories of foster care um, families and some of the backgrounds and the experiences these kids have had. Um, so we had some concerns going into it, um, just some fear of the unknown. But as we considered uh, whether to move forward uh, with it, um, we, we finally arrived at this conclusion. Rather than being afraid of what issues may, um, we may have to deal with in a child that was removed from a very difficult, uh, traumatic home environment, rather than uh, just being a, letting fear kind of guide us, we just decided that um, what better family, not that we're the perfect family, but definitely not, but what better family than to have a, a child go into a, a loving, stable Christian family that would raise a child to love the Lord. So we decided to set aside all the, the big what, if, what ifs and um, really had to wrestle through that. It wasn't an easy uh, process. Um, but we really wanted to be able to bring a child into our home that we could love uh, and care for. And all this got me thinking about how God uh, makes us his own children, his own sons and daughters. He adopts those who, by their very nature, are rebellious. Uh, people that want nothing to do with God. But uh, he took us into his own family, makes us his own children. And... Um, he sort of took a risk of adopting us, didn't he? Because um, we may tarnish his reputation as we bear his name now. 
Um, but he knew that his children would struggle in this world. And he knew that we would require a tremendous amount of care and guidance and leading. But he placed us into his family with joy and love. And even paid for us. He took the ultimate risk on one sense. He really paid the ultimate price to adopt us and to make us his own. So as a result of our adoption, we have this brand new relationship with God. Once we are alienated from him without hope, without God in this world, considered from his standpoint as enemies, but now through our faith in Christ, we've been adopted and we can address God as Abba, Father. Abba is the the word that young Hebrew children between the ages of, I don't know, one and two, uh, that's what they call their daddies. Abba. It's an easy word for the young children to say. Um, What an intimate relationship we have with God, who uh, is the creator and maker of all, and uh, the judge of all, and uh, and yet he invites us to call him Daddy. Um, The only other person in the Bible uh, before, uh, well, nobody nobody had called God Daddy until Jesus. That was his father. And not even the angels, they don't call God daddy. It's a privilege that children have. And uh, we become God's sons and daughters. And we gain that privilege too. So we've been adopted. We've been hand-selected by God to join his family. At our adoption, we're given the Holy Spirit who frees us from the fear of sin and death and the devil we've gained a new relationship with God from judge to loving father. Another benefit of adoption in Christ. As adopted children of God, we were reminded that we are his. In verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In the Greek language is a construction which places um, emphasis to what's being said. Um, and Paul uses this construction here where he writes the spirit himself. Uh, I think it would have made perfect sense if he just said the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. We would have understood that the spirit, uh, testifies with us, but, um, he says the spirit himself, almost as if to say, do you not realize that the very spirit of God, the one who indwells you, he himself testifies along with you. Uh, that you are the children of God. Again, just as I think through it, just the intimacy, the, uh, this special, unique relationship that sons and daughters of God have with him, that he is actively at work conforming us to Christ and with us, assuring us in our hearts that we are his. <clears throat> From time to time, uh, Jody and I share with our boys, mostly Asher because Danny doesn't understand yet. It's only two. Um, but from time to time, we'll just say, um, I'll say, Asher, I'm so glad I adopted you. What a gift. And um, I imagine God saying the same thing to his children. 
Like, damn, I'm so glad. Then I adopted you. He's our father, we're his children. It's pretty powerful. Peter, I'm so glad I adopted you. Ryan, I'm so glad I adopted you. Sindel, way in the back, I'm so glad I adopted you. What great joy the Father has toward us. What love. And he assures us again and again that we're his. As believers in Christ, we gain assurance of our salvation through the presence and the power of, our, of the Spirit in our heart. The Holy Spirit of God himself bears witness together with our spirit that we are God's children. Another illustration. These are tough. I put a lot in. That's where I get choked up. So we had um, <clears throat> uh, Danny in our home for nearly two years. We just, we just wrapped everything up three weeks ago. Uh, and every two weeks for many months, a social worker would come over and um, take Danny away for a couple of hours for visitation with his mother and father. And um, one day, early on in the process, a uh, social worker was at our house in our living room. And Asher was sleeping, but he woke up and he came out and he saw uh, the worker there. And he immediate, and so he was probably two and a half years old. He immediately uh, runs behind the coffee table, starts flailing on the floor, holding on to the leg, uh, will not stand up, has this complete meltdown. And I tried my best to, you know be like a good dad and reason with him and try to get him to stand up and say hello and hey, you know, here's a social worker, what's she thinking about our family, you know, all this stuff. <clears throat> but I had no idea what brought it on. I could not. He was completely out of control. A few days later, um, he was able to tell us what he was thinking and um, when he saw that worker there, he thought that she was there to take him away. Um, of course, after you know several visitations, Asher got used to what was going on, and he knew that uh, he wasn't going anywhere, but he was scared to death that he was going to be removed. And... Um, just broke our hearts to think about the fear that this little boy had and why he was holding that coffee table leg so tight. You know, how do you explain to a two-year-old he wasn't going to go anywhere? He wasn't going to be taken. <clears throat> he was a son. He is our son, my son. He was already adopted as a full-fledged member of our family. He bore our name. Nobody was taking him. He wasn't going anywhere. Jesus said, um, <clears throat> My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. 
And Paul sort of picking up on this in the same chapter, Romans 8, a little further down. He says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're not going anywhere. The moment we believe we were sealed, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God himself, adopted into God's family, and there's nothing that can change that. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. God doesn't kick his children out if things get too difficult. Uh, He doesn't adopt a person and then Give him back. Whoops, I made a mistake. Um, he finishes what he starts. And um, he adopted those who believe and he'll bring them home to himself. <clears throat> As Paul says in the next verse. The fifth benefit of adoption in Christ. As adopted children of God, we are heirs to God's inheritance. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we, also, that we may also be glorified with him. Uh, one of the parables Jesus taught, he depicted himself as the heir to all that God has. Matthew 21, 38. And Paul says that we, those adopted by God, are also heirs of all that God has. So what does God have? Everything. Paul writes to the Corinthians, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So we don't know all that God has and all that we will inherit. We just get little glimpses from the Bible, but we know it's going to be far greater than anything we could ever imagine. And we're not only heirs of God, but we're fellow heirs with Christ. So we become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. The the Father glorified Jesus, and we too as his adopted children will inherit Christ's glory. 1 John says this little tiny letter, uh, chapter 3, verse 2, 1 John. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. The glory which is rightfully Christ. It's his alone. He will share with us. The children of God. Provided that we suffer with him. The sixth benefit of adoption in Christ. As adopted children of God. We are disciplined as sons. It says, we're heirs of God and with Christ, provided that we suffer with him. Hebrews says, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Uh, so suffering is a necessary step before glory. And I get it here in the U.S., we don't see much of this, and I'm really thankful for that, for the religious freedoms that we have. Um, but it's not true in a lot of areas 
in this world. Just, uh, just this week I read an article of an American uh, man who was over in Iran leading a Bible study. And uh, they arrested him. You can't lead Bible studies over there. And uh, he went to uh, court, and they gave him eight years in prison, an American citizen. Um, so we don't suffer as much as the rest of the world does, but I'm convinced that those who live their faith and speak their faith and live biblically, uh, live in a way that's consistent with the Bible, will suffer even here in the U.S. may look different than jail time, right? No one's going to jail for leading a connection group, at least not yet. Um, but uh, it may look like being excluded from certain relationships uh, or groups being slandered or put down. People try to instigate you because they know you're a Christian, try to get you to compromise. Uh, you might get laughed at. You really believe that stuff? Um, it may be that people know you're a Christian and because they do, they seem to blaspheme Jesus. Uh, it seems like almost intentionally in front of you. Um, uh, you may receive threats or verbal abuse or warnings. To, you can't say that in here, you, you know. To quit talking about Jesus. You may be accused of hate crimes. And even here in America, some people are victims of violence, up to and including death. The Bible says all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And suffering is one visible evidence you're in the faith. If you're not in the faith and suffering comes, persecution comes, you're out of there. Forget this. I don't need this. I don't really believe that. But believers stand firm in it. And we know that it's a part of the deal. And it's important to remember that uh, suffering, um, persecution, God uses, it, uses all of it as discipline for his children. Not discipline in a negative way, uh, as we often see discipline, but to really bring us along to further uh, become like Christ. So if and when you suffer for your faith, uh, remember that God is using it for your benefit. So if children were heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Christ, uh, which we will if we are his children. Finally, we come to the seventh benefit of adoption in Christ. As adopted children of God, we long to be finalized. So we'll read one more verse, uh, Romans 8.23. It says this, um, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So you may be thinking, you just preached the whole sermon on adoption, and now he's saying it hasn't happened yet. Um, Paul says we eagerly await our adoption as sons which happens at the redemption of our bodies so there's an aspect of this adoption in Christ that uh, this side of heaven is not complete um, but it is as good as gold um, we are God's children 
and we've been adopted into his family. And uh, we should eagerly long to be finalized. And this happens when our physical bodies are redeemed and we're glorified. Um, As we wait on this earth, we groan inwardly. Um, This groaning inwardly is used uh, elsewhere of uh, undesirable um, conditions that people were going through. Um, And so as believers, we groan inwardly because of the undesirable condition. We know that we're God's children. We've been adopted. We haven't been finalized. We're living in this world that's crazy and difficult and uh, painful. Um, And so it's undesirable. We know this is not our home. We want to get there. Uh, This past June, uh, Danny's case went to trial, uh, scheduled for two weeks, and at the end of it, the judge would rule either in favor of his parents for custody or in favor of the state, which um, would be good news for us um, that we get to keep him. Uh, And on the first day of the trial, the judge ruled against his parents. And we knew then for the first time in about a year and a half that he would be ours. Um, And nothing could change that. We just needed a court date to finalize it, uh, to really get it on the books. But but he was ours. We can kind of let our guard down for the first time. Um, And we were told it would be about three or four months before we could set up a court date and do some final paperwork. And early on, I thought, boy, it doesn't matter how long it takes because he's ours. We know he's ours. We know we're not going to lose him. His, right, his parents' rights were terminated. And, um, but three or four months out, and we sort of were looking for a November finalization. Um, so the state had to do some paperwork. We had to do some as well. Uh, anyway, after all of our paperwork was submitted, they found a clerical error, and it was all void. So we had to resubmit it which cost us probably about three weeks. Um, not a big deal, but, um, you know, another three weeks. So November came and went, and it hadn't been finalized yet. We thought, well, probably December. And in December, we just continued to wait. At some point in there, how am I doing on my 10 minutes? Am I doing Okay. <laughs> At some point in there, I really began to have a change of heart, even though he was ours, and we just had to make it official. I just got tired of waiting. We'd been foster parents for nearly two years on a roller coaster ride with very few ups, mostly downs. Um, I just was tired of waiting. Um, I just began to feel antsy. Uh, And I'm not one to get anxious very much. Um, I just wanted to wrap the whole thing up and make it official, make him ours. There just seemed to be no end in sight. So we just waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. Uh, One night I was sharing this with Jody and just was reminded of this verse, Romans 8, 23. As I was longing for Danny's finalization, I was struck by the eagerness that Paul had as he looked towards his own finalization as an adopted child of God. And then I put myself in the Father's shoes. And if Paul longs to be finalized, 
really longs to be finalized. How much more does God, who knows all that awaits us, we just get glimpses. The one who started this work in us, how much more must he long to bring us home, to finalize our adoption in him? The fact is that as believers in Jesus Christ, we've been adopted. We've entered a new family. We've received a new spirit. We've gained a new daddy. The spirit of God himself reminds us that we are God's children. We are heirs to God's inheritance, all that he has. We are lovingly disciplined as sons as we grow in Christ-likeness. And as good as all of it is, we long for something more. Because we have not arrived yet. And we know this is not the end. We have yet to be finalized. And we long for that day. As we consider it and we look forward to it with eager expectation, let's be reminded of what Paul says to us in verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we're debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. As adopted children, we owe nothing to the flesh, to, the, to sin, to the devil. We owe everything to God because of Christ. May we live like residents of heaven here. You know? Let's live as God's beloved children right now. Um, Heaven is our home. I often remind myself that I'm not from here. When life gets tough or temptation is intense, I'm not from here. Um, I've been born anew. We are indebted to God for all that he's done and all that he's promised to do. So when we went to court to finalize our son a couple weeks ago, we had quite a crowd with us. And uh, we had so many people, I think it was standing room only, and the judge remarked, and he said, this is the biggest crowd we've seen in quite some time. And um, some documents had to be signed. The first was a name change. We went from Dan and Jody Mesher to Dad and Mom. And the second document was the official finalization paper by which the state recognized Danny as our own with his new name, full rights, legal privileges as a son. In the state's decision, they read through this and the judge signed it. Uh, in their own words, uh, this adoption is final and irrevocable. I hope that you all long for the day when your adoption in Christ is final, finalized, and irrevocable. I know that God does. In the meantime, let's let the Spirit lead and live in a way that reflects our heavenly home. Let's pray.
Daddy, we, um, this is just a small piece of salvation, this thing that we call getting to heaven, this one tiny aspect of it. And there's so many more we could look at. Powerful, powerful truths. Thank you for adopting us, for taking a chance on us. We know that we let you, we let you down all the time. Thanks for never giving up on us, for confirming again and again that we're yours, for loving us all the way to the end. May we follow you, really, because we get tempted not to. May we follow you as you lead us. May you get the glory for all of this, all this work that you started in us, that you will complete. Amen.